All right. Uh, good afternoon. Um, let's open up in prayer. Holy Spirit, we just welcome your presence uh, into this gathering. We already know that you're here. We're two or three gather. You're in the midst. And so we just want to say we love you, Jesus. And we love you so much, Holy Spirit. And I pray we, uh, with all my heart, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal the love of the Father to every single person in this room today. And you would reveal the passion of Jesus Christ to every single soul and spirit and even body, God, sitting in these seats. Father, I pray for every person in this room that what you started in them, you will finish. That you're the author and the finisher of their faith and that each of them would finish strong in your grace. Holy Spirit, we thank you and we praise you. We love you. We ask you to come and do your work now in our hearts. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. All right. I hope you guys are in the right um, seminar. If you're not looking for a Chinese guy in the front, then you're in the wrong place. Um, but my name is Jason, and uh, my last name is Ma. And uh, this, I only got about 45 minutes, so I'm going to go straight into uh, this topic of affection-based obedience. And uh, I'm just going to turn to the scriptures first. And uh, open with this. First John, chapter three. I'm actually going to open up with uh, four different verses, but I'm just going to run straight through them. It says this: First John three one. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Look at someone and say, you're a child of God. (laughs) The next verse uh, that I want to read is in Jeremiah chapter 6. And this is just something that I've just been meditating on. And just a little disclaimer, you guys. uh, What I'm going to be talking about today about affection-based obedience is really something that I've been personally going through, struggling through, walking through right now in in my own life. And there's nothing I've mastered. This is nothing that I'm an expert on. This is something that I'm desiring to live from, too. And so it's also a copy of a Mike Bickle sermon. <laughs> he says it's free to copy a sermon, so I'm going to go for it. See how well I do. Um, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, it says this. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. That's just something that's been a cry in my heart recently. It's just like, God, I want to go back to that good way, you know, that ancient path, that place where I first found you. And I, you know, you guys remember when you first got saved? How many of you guys remember when you first got saved? And it was just like dandelions and roses. Remember that? Like, there was no devil, no such thing as bad days, you know? Everything was good. You loved Jesus. And then life happened. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, it says this. For the love of Christ controls us. Another translation is, for the love of Christ compels us. Okay? We have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for him who for their sake died and was raised again. And when I first read that verse when I was maybe like 17, 18 years old as a brand new Christian, something in that just jumped inside of my heart that... Yeah, of course. Like the love of Christ compels me. It literally, the, the Greek there means to control. It actually means like 
you're imprisoned. You can't help it. You have to. There is no other choice. You've got to do it. The love of Christ compels me to preach the gospel. And I felt that at a point in my life. And how many of you guys ever felt that once? Where you just had to tell everybody about your love for Jesus. And how many of you guys, after a while, for some reason, you didn't feel that compelling anymore, and somehow it kind of just went away? Yeah. And it's a big problem. Well, here's the answer to the problem. Isaiah 40. This is my favorite verse. This is my life verse. And uh, I'm going to tell you the story behind this verse. It's kind of funny. Uh, It's Isaiah 40, verse 29. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. How many of you guys are young people in here? Yeah? How many of you guys ever got burned out in ministry or burned out just trying to do God's will? That's why we're here. All right? Even youth grow tired and weary, but he who waits on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. When I read this verse, I was about 19 years old. I got radically saved when I was 17 years old from a life of gangs, Asian gangs, drugs, theft. I mean, everything you can think of. And when I got saved, I mean, I was so zealous for God because I had this radical, dramatic encounter where God saved me from going to jail. I mean, I was so rad. I mean, I literally like wore like posters to high school my senior year, even though I used to be like a drug addict and a gangster. And all of a sudden I was wearing posters with like, God loves you. Believe me, John 3.16, like this big, you know? And, and you know, I was just kind of crazy like that, you know, kind of off, kind of weird. And people would just thought, man, this guy, he's crazy. He's a Jesus freak. I can't believe he does all these things for God. And I was like, yeah, that's right. I love God. <laughs> and it was crazy. I mean, I was a crazy guy. And so, you know, I mean, like in the first 12 months of my uh, uh, born-again experience, I saw over 100 to 150 of my friends give their life to Christ. We started a, a full-blown mini-revival on my high school campus for evangelistic Bible studies. In two years, we saw 2,000 students give their lives to Christ. I mean, I was an evangelistic machine. I was lean, I was green, and I was a Chinese-talking machine. And so, I mean, I loved God. I really loved God. But you know what? I'm realizing more and more, you guys, it's not about our love for God. It's about his love for us. And, you know, I just realized so many times that my love for God is so inconsistent, you know? My joy in God is so up and down. You know, I call it yo-yo Christianity. All right, you're going to up and down, up and down. You know, you go to the winter retreat, up. You come back from the winter retreat, down. You know, and you go to one thing, up. Come back from one thing, mom's in the house, down. And, you know, it's just like this up and down roller coaster. And, you know, after a year of being zealous for Jesus Christ, even young people grow faint and tired. They grow weary. And I just got so sick and tired of it. I was just like, God, I don't think I can do the Christian walk. You ever say that to yourself? I just don't think I can be a Christian. It's just too hard. It's too hard to be a Christian. And I realized it is hard to be a Christian. It's pretty much impossible if you try to do it in your own power and your own strength. And I got so distressed, so depressed one day. I just said, God, I'm going to quit. I don't think I can do this. I started struggling with sins I was struggling with again. I started uh, struggling with sexual uh, immorality, pornography. I was struggling with pride. I was struggling with control issues, jealousy, anger. All these different things started coming back up, and that experience that I had all of a sudden was no longer the experience that was lasting. Because most of us 
have an encounter with God, and we think that that encounter with God is going to last us for the rest of our life. And the reality is, no, we have to have a daily encounter with his love. And so what happened with me was this. I got so desperate. I said, God, I would do anything possible to be on fire for you 24-7. And you've got to watch out what you pray for, you know? Prayer is dangerous. And so I pray this prayer. I'm like, God, I'll do it. I want to be on fire for you 24-7. I want to pray night and day, day and night, just like Apostle Paul and Mike Pickle. Amen. And God answered my prayer. Freshman year in college, I'm walking back home, and uh, I get into my house. Well, I was, it was a commuter school. And so my mom, I call her my spiritual Yoda. And uh, kind of small Chinese lady, four foot eleven, with a deadly Holy Spirit punch. And uh, she comes up to me and she says, Jason, I have something for you. And I was like, what? It's like, you listen to this tape. And I was like, what's in those tapes? It is my pastor from my Chinese church. It is power. Power? It is waiting upon the Lord. And I was like, no, mama, you know, I got, I got a lot of homework, you know. I, I, don't, I, don't mean, I, I don't even understand her English is kind of broken. And my mom was just like, no, you listen now. So I was like, all right, fine. So, you know, I, you know, after about two times, I do whatever my mom says. And so I get these seven tapes, and they're called Waiting Upon the Lord, and it's Isaiah 40, 31. And as I'm listening to these tapes, it's basically this guy, it's actually a lady preaching in Mandarin, and there's another guy with broken English translating her broken Mandarin. And so it's really hard to listen to. And so I'm listening to this guy, and he goes, tape number one, Waiting Upon the Lord. Do you know how to wait? And I'm sitting there like, okay, be quiet. Uh-uh-uh, shut up. Close the door, be quiet, close your eyes. Now just gaze at the beauty of the Lord. What do you see? Isn't he beauty? Oh, he is so beauty. What does Jesus look like? And I'm thinking to myself, he looks black. <laughs> and it's kind of funny. It's a funny story, but I'm telling you, this is, this is very serious to me. This is the secret to everything in my life. Uh, it, it was the door that opened intimacy with me and Jesus. Um, he basically, basically said, you know, wait on the Lord every single day. And it's a promise in his word that he will renew your strength. That it's not he might. It's not I hope. It is he will renew your strength. And I think if there's one thing that's the most untalked about subject in the church today, it's waiting upon God. Learning to wait upon the Lord is so contradictory to our culture that's all about performance and works and production and doing things for God rather than doing things with God. And that day, I just said, I'm just going to go for it. If this is what it takes to be on fire for you, God, 24-7, to not burn out in the ministry. God, I don't want to live this way anymore. I want my heart to be alive. I want it to be full. I want to know you, God, more and more from glory to glory each and every single day. I am willing to do it. And so I got down on my knees, and I waited on God. And I fell asleep. 
I woke up after two hours and I was like, what the? Two hours? Huh, I'm holy. <laughs> and when I was awake, it felt like eternity, you know? So I'm like, intense this is like five minutes and i just said you know what god i'm not gonna give up and so i just kept on waiting on the lord and i'm just gonna get you know cut to the chase after about two weeks um of every single day you know just waiting on god how many guys know we have a body soul and a spirit and a lot of times we only feed our body and we feed our soul very little time do we feed our spirit all right and so what I realized all the times I'm playing PlayStation all the time, eating donuts, you know, eating my mom's Chinese food, you know, watching TV, watching all this stuff, doing my study, doing my homework, doing my work. I'm constantly feeding my soul and saying yes to my soul, saying yes to my body, but most of the time I'm saying no to my spirit. And when I wait on the Lord, the reason why it's so hard to be silent, so hard to focus on the glory of God, is because I have so much of my soul running, so much of my stomach growling, that my spirit is suffocated. And at that point, I realized I was training myself to tell my body to shut up and my soul to shut up and say yes to my spirit, which is what you worship God with. And so every single day I'm waiting on the Lord there and it would take almost an hour, almost two hours where all of a sudden my mind would clear. My thoughts would kind of spread out. They would come to a halt. And all of a sudden it's like he was there. How many of you guys, when you guys are worshiping in the big gatherings, all of a sudden it's like in the first two songs, it's kind of hard to connect. But on the third song, it's kind of like, ah. Oh. I'm there. And all of a sudden you feel, you sense, your spirit's connecting with the glory of God. It's that same thing. And when you're in that moment, it's the best moment in the world when you're in the presence of God. And I was there for two weeks. And finally, after all the distractions kind of subsided, something just broke open. And bam, the presence of God was right there in my room. And some days it was a lot. Other days it was like nothing. But I didn't live by my feelings. I lived by faith. And the more that you believe, the more that you will feel. But you don't feel first. You believe by faith that he is renewing your strength. And I got so addicted to his presence. I mean, I was like addicted to drugs. I was addicted to girls. I was addicted to like cars. I was addicted to kung fu soap operas. I was addicted to everything you could think of. But when I found the presence of God, I said, God, this is the best thing in the whole entire world. I want this all the time for the rest of my life. Every day after I finished my classes or in between classes, I would just get into a place where I could get quiet and I would just seek the Lord in silence and solitude. It didn't mean I didn't study and meditate on the scriptures. I read the Bible every single day, systematically, like a good Chinese straight-A student. I read the word. I prayed. I intercede. I cried out as the Spirit led me. But what was the most intimate and what was the most blissful and what was the most renewing times was when I was just silent, quiet, and just like, God, here I am, no expectations, I'm just here to let you love on me, and I'm here to love on you. Come, Holy Spirit, I love you, and I want to know you more. And every day, he would just come. And that's when it happened. Jeremiah 6, it was good. It was so good. I didn't care about anything else. And then once I got out of my time, sometimes it would go for an hour, sometimes it might be for 20 minutes, other times it might go for six hours straight, just basking in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes when I would get out, I would be so full of the Holy Ghost. I didn't know what to do. It was almost like I felt like I was going to literally physically explode with the presence of God. And I could not. It was that 2 Corinthians 5.14. I am compelled. I have to. You guys, evangelism is overflow. 
It's just, it just has to come out. It's not something that you try to do. It's not something that you're obligated to do. It's not something that if you don't do it, God's going to punish you. He's not going to accept you. He doesn't like you. No, evangelism is this love relationship with the Father. He fills you with his love. You give him back love, and all of a sudden there's so much love going on that you both just can't contain it between the two of you. You have to give it away. And I got so crazy after that point. I mean, I saw a few hundred of my friends give the lives of Christ, but all of a sudden, everywhere I went, I mean, it was just crazy. I remember one time I was in my room, and I was just spending time with God for about three or four months, every single day. And you know what's so funny? I remember back in the day, I'm just going to go off here. I don't even know where I'm going here. And, um, but, you know, I would just, I would just, I would just, I, would, I thought tongues was like once in a while, you know? I didn't know, like, you could actually practice tongues every day. So I was like, woo da ba yabba da ba you know? And, and then my, and my youth pastor's wife was like, have you ever spoken in tongues? And I'm like, 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 yabba da ba And she was like, yeah, you can do it every day. It's like training on a bicycle. And I was like, you serious? And I'm like, go back in my room, like, God, give me tongues again today, please. And then it would come, and I would pray in tongues again. And the next day, I'd be like, oh, that was so cool. Oh, God, let me do it again, let me do it again. And, you know, it was like at that point in my life, everything was fresh, everything was new. The presence of God was, was just like a daily birthday, you know, full of surprises. And God would speak to me. He would show me things. And I remember one time I was in my room. The presence of God was just so thick. Again, evangelism is not about what you can do. It's about the glory of God on you and what it can do. My friend walks in, 200-pound football player in my high school. Name's Monel, Filipino Samoan guy. Walks into my room and goes, falls straight to the ground and just goes, what are you doing in here, man? I'm like, what? He's like, you praying or something, man? And I was like, well, sorry. I was like, I didn't know what was going on. Then I walked outside. And I went out into the, rest, uh, not to the rest, into the kitchen. I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to go do the dishes for my mom. Wow. You know what? It's about being faithful in the little things, and God will make you faithful over big dishes. All right? And so I went to, I went to, the, to, to go do the dishes, and my mom's you know, just doing the dishes. I'm like, you know, Mom, let me do this. You know, Chinese mothers, if you know them, they're like, no, 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 no. You go do your homework. I do the dishes. You know? And I'm like, no, 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 let me do the dishes. And so as I go and I turn, my mom just looks at me and goes, oh! I'm like, what? She goes, you glow, glow, glow. And she said, she saw a light, like a glow, coming, emanating off of my face. And she couldn't handle it. She literally could step back. She just started interceding and worshiping and praising God. And I said, God, this is easy. (laughs) All right? And what happened was this. What comes along the lines, I wish I had so much more time, but it's so easy to lose your first love. It's so easy to lose that place. And when you start only talking about those times when you have with the Lord, that's when you know you're backslidden. I'm being honest with you guys right now. I'm backslidden. I really am. I wish I still had those times with the Lord. Um, I've been in ministry now for almost eight years. Um, been an itinerant revivalist, and so I go back and forth all over America and Asia. We plant churches, and we bring revival to campuses and cities and nations. And almost every single weekend, I'm off traveling, doing one thing to the next to the next, and preaching about having a passion for Jesus. How many of you guys know you can preach about something but not live it? All right. And I've noticed that in the last few years of my life, 
that time that I had back when I was 19 in the back of the field with sheep, you know, and nothing to do but just to worship and love God, somehow got stolen by ministry. And ministry can be your greatest enemy to intimacy with God. And unless you learn how to truly flow from intimacy in order to do ministry, but if ministry becomes your intimacy, you will lose the battle. And what I find out for many people, especially in the prophetic movement and the charismatic movement, a lot of us have a relationship with revelation more than we have a relationship with God. We have a relationship with our dreams and our visions for God. We have a relationship with that prophetic word that was given over my life. God, when's it going to happen? Why is it not happening? And we find our joy in what we do for God. We don't find our joy in Christ. We find our identity and our destiny in what we do, but we don't realize that God loves us just for who we are. And this is a very dangerous thing because what happened to me was when I was about 20 years old, I received a 14-day cinematic vision for the first time in my life after waiting on God every single day for hours. And in this vision, I saw a field full of young people crying out to God to the point where I couldn't see to the end of all nations, all colors, all creeds. And it was on this field, and it was so real, I thought I was in the vision. And it went on for 14 days straight, and I literally was so excited. I was jumping in my room because it was wide awake, but I felt like it was right there. And, you know, my mom would open the door and, like, are you doing drug again? You know, and I'm like, no. And I would go to my youth pastor. I'm like, you don't understand. I think, I think the chapel's not going to be able to hold how many young people are going to get saved very soon. And he's like, Jason, you know, what's going on? And finally, I talked to this guy from Biola University. Thank God for Christian college students. And I was like, you know, I see this field full of young people crying out to God, worshiping him. I think a lot of people are going to get saved. It's going to be crazy. And he goes, so what do you mean, like uh, revival? And I was like, what's revival? He's like, you know, it's like when a lot of kids get saved or something. <laughs> cool. Revival. I like that. I went and studied every single book I could find on the subject of revival. And I realized from generation to generation for the last 2,000 years, God did not just visit Jerusalem with a great mighty act of the Holy Spirit. But from generation to generation, locale to locale, city to city, and nation to nation, God has stretched out his right hand time and time again and swept multitudes into the kingdom of God in the blink of an eye. And I said, God, you still do this? God, if you did it before, please do it again. Do it in my generation. And I cried out and I preached this vision. And in 2002, after the call of D.C., the very first one that brought over 400,000 to D.C., it was through IHOP. I got this prophecy to go to it by faith. I went to Flushing Meadows, New York, called New York City, June 22, 2002, and I saw over 85 to 100,000 young people on a field, all nations, all colors and creeds, crying out to God, asking God to bring revival to our generation. And I knew I was right there in it on the plane ride back. The Holy Spirit spoke to me, Jason, the vision I gave to you a few years before has just come to pass. Get ready. Pray and fast. Revival's beginning to rumble. And I got, can you guys imagine that? When you see destiny at that magnitude, when you begin to see what God's doing with one thing, when you begin to see what God's doing with the call in Nashville, when you begin to see what God's doing in your campus, in your home, with your friends and your families, those that you care for, and seeing breakthrough, you begin to get a sense of destiny to see what God is doing and joining him. You know, Arthur Burke said, what's the best thing you could do with your life? To a young man, and he said to the young man, a young man asked him that, what's the best thing I could do? He said, find out what God is doing in your generation and give your life completely to it. And that's what I said. I said, God, I want to give my life to the destiny of God on my generation. 
And God, I want to see revival and transformation and reformation break out. I want to see the book of Acts break out on my university. I want to see the book of Acts break out in San Jose, California, where I was living. God, I want to see all of China saved. God, I want to see Jerusalem filled with the glory of God. I want to see all of this. God, give it to me. And God goes, yeah, I don't know if that's the best thing for you, Jason. Because, you know, I think a lot of us, we find our value and we find our worth in our destiny. I'm a doctor for God. I'm a prophet for Jesus. I'm an actor in Hollywood for Jesus Christ. And so many times we get so caught up in what God shows us and what he wants us to do that we don't realize that God is not so concerned about the destination of our destiny. But what he's more concerned about is walking with us on that journey to that destination. And he calls us to greatness, not so we can feel great, although we are in him. But he calls us to greatness because he wants to show us how great his love is for us. And when we begin to realize, you guys, that I am not what I do, My identity is not in my doing. My identity is not in my destiny. But my identity is that, behold, how wonderful it is that I have a Father in heaven who calls me a beloved child of God. That no matter what you do or don't do, He still loves you. That even if you didn't fulfill the will of God perfectly in your life, do you think God would still love you? See, a lot of us, Fear that. No, what if I miss the will of God? What if I don't do exactly what he's calling me to do? And all of a sudden we get afraid. And God's like, you know what? I'm not so concerned about whether or not you get it done right. Because all things work together for the good of those who love me. And I just want you to know something. That even if you did nothing at all, if you didn't pray two hours a day, if you didn't read your Bible through in a year, if you didn't fulfill that calling or that prophecy or whatever was going on and spoken over your life, I want you to know you are still valuable, you are still worthy, you are still beautiful, you are still absolutely stunning and amazing in my eyes. You are my son, you are my daughter, and nothing will ever change my love for you. And when I begin to understand this, you guys, it rocked my world. Because I was chasing after destiny in fear that if I did not do what God wanted me to do, somehow I was disobedient. Or if I did it wrong, or if I said no to people, then somehow God would be displeased. But I realized, no, you know what? God doesn't want us to obey him out of fear or duty. He wants us to obey him out of a heart full of affection and love for him. So we talk about three kinds of obedience. The first kind is this, fear-based obedience. Fear-based obedience is the obedience you do because you're afraid of the negative consequences of your decision. Now understand this, you guys. All these kinds of obedience I'm about to explain to you are completely biblical. All right? It's actually biblical to have fear-based obedience. We need to have a healthy fear of the Lord. But you guys, how many of you guys know that fear will not sustain you? Okay. A lot of people fear God, get the fire insurance, so, uh, good luck, okay, as long as I get to heaven. But then they live their entire lives without knowing the true love of God. And they base their obedience out of fear that if I don't do it right, if I mess up, oh no, I don't want to face the negative consequences, so therefore, I'll do it, God. But how many guys, how many guys would like a girlfriend to be your girlfriend because she's afraid of you? They're like, honey, do you love me? <laughs> 
Kind of weird, right? The second kind of obedience is duty-based obedience. This is the kind of obedience that we experience without the presence of God. We don't experience the presence of God. We don't feel his unction or anointing on our lives, but we do it because we know the Bible says so. The Bible told me so. It's right. Hey, eternity's a long time. I better do it now anyways. I should probably just obey. I should go to church because you should go to church. I should sing the songs because everyone else is singing the songs. I don't feel God, but you know what? I'm just going to do it anyways out of faith and out of obedience. And this is good. This is good. But again, if we just do it because we're supposed to do it, but our hearts are not alive inside, then something is desperately missing. And this is not the fullest of what God has for us. It will not sustain us in the end. Duty and obligation will not sustain you in the end. The highest form of obedience is affection-based obedience. This is when you see God and he's full of love. And that love comes into your heart. You feel it. And you begin to give that love back. And all of a sudden, you love what he loves. He loves what you love. All of a sudden, you're just this big ball of love. And you just want to love. And all of a sudden, obedience is no longer an obligation. It's no longer something that you have to do. It's something that you want to do. It's something that you're compelled to do. It's something that you cannot even stop, even if you try to. It's just a part of who you are. And I've just been asking God recently, God, that is the kind of life that I want to live. I don't want to do ministry because I have to do ministry. I don't want to obey you because I'm afraid you're going to punish me or what will people think of me. Hello? Hello? Am I talking to anybody tonight? Okay? Because this is it. I got 10 minutes here. I'm just going to be honest, okay? What I found out for the last 10 years of my Christian walk is that most of the Christianity that I was living was religion. It was not grace. That I got saved by grace, but I entered straight into works. And what do I mean by that? Religion says, and even in Western Christianity, behave, right? Act like us, talk like us, do like us, dress like us, worship like us, do everything like this. Behave. Then you'll be accepted. Now believe that you're good. But Jesus is so much different. I didn't notice this until like literally like 20 months ago. That Jesus came up to me one day and just spoke to me and said, Jason, I don't ask you to change or behave. You're already accepted. Believe that, Jason. And then you'll change. But I don't even care that much if you change right now. I just want you to know that, Jason, I love you just the way you are. And Jason, even if you never got your quiet time right... Even if you never preached another great sermon, even if you fell flat in your face and you fell into sin, Jason, even if you said, I'm going to stop ministry right now, Jason, I want you to know something. I love you not for what you do. I love you simply for who you are. You're not living for approval, Jason. You're living from my approval. You are, therefore you do. But you know what? I was driving through San Francisco and I saw this next tell cell phone ad and says, I do, therefore I am. And I was like, no, that is so contrary to Jesus. You are, therefore you do. You're accepted. You're loved. 
You don't have to feel guilty if you don't fit in the religious box. You don't have to feel guilty if, oh, no, I'm not good enough. I'm not Christian enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I mean, that person gets third heaven revelations, but I don't. Who am I? What am I? That person's so intimate with God, but, oh, no, but what is, I don't feel the same way that person feels. And all of a sudden, we start comparing, and we get under this thing called guilt, condemnation, and shame. You know the biggest problem in Christianity today is? It's shame. You know what shame is? It's not sin. It's shame. Shame is the feeling of wrongness, the wrongness of being. There's something wrong with me, therefore I need to fix me. I need to get myself right in my own strength. And then I go, every time I try that, God, to try to fix myself, I screw up. And somehow I just can't get it right. How many guys have grown tired of trying to fix yourself? Yeah. Here's, 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 here's the key. We're just going to end with this. Matthew chapter 3. How do you live out of affection-based obedience? The baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you do. And do you come to me, Jesus? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Every morning you have to wake up, look yourself in the mirror and say, I am well pleasing to God. I am his beloved son. I am his beloved daughter. I'm God's favorite. I'm freaking amazing. Because you know what, guys? What I love about this chapter is that God had to establish, the father had to establish Jesus' identity before he could release him into his destiny. Because Jesus, if he only did miracles and signs and wonders and raised the dead and hung on the cross and did all these things in his strength for his value, that he would have never been the son of God. Because there's nothing that we can do for God. It's everything that he's done for us. And Jesus at that moment had not performed one miracle, had not raised one person from the dead, had not healed one sick person, cast out one demon, had not even preached one supernatural, revelational sermon did not go to seminary school, did not do all the things that are even culture, even in church says, you need to do these things in order to be accepted and approved and spiritual. Yet Jesus did nothing. And God says, Jesus, I just want you to know, I love you, buddy. You are awesome. You're my beloved. Nothing will ever change that. You're greatly blessed. You're highly favored. You're deeply loved. You are my son. And I love you forever. Then bam. He gets released into ministry. No, where does he go? The wilderness. And if you, if you read it, it's very interesting how the devil tempts Jesus. He keeps saying to him, if you're the son of God, turn this stone into bread. Then he says it again, if you're the son of God, do you know what he omits? Beloved. He will not say beloved. Because he knows that our identity comes from our belovedness in Christ and our acceptance from the Father. 
And when we're secure in the Father's love, when we're secure in what Jesus died on the cross, that our sin, our shame, our sickness, everything is wiped out. I don't need to try to fix myself. I'm already fixed. I don't need to try to be more holy. By the cross of Jesus Christ, I'm already holy. I don't need to try to be more spiritual. By the blood of Jesus, I'm already perfect. Then all of a sudden, you keep your eyes on Jesus, not on your love for him, but his love for you. And your heart stays steady. Recently, I went, um, five minutes. Recently, I went on this, uh, my first time going deep sea fishing. How many of you guys have gone deep sea fishing? Yeah. Um, not good for a skinny Chinese guy. And so I, I went deep sea fishing, and you know what? I was out there, and I, was, I, was, I, you know, I didn't get a lot of sleep the night before. I was fasting. Do not fast when you go deep sea fishing. And I was on empty stomach, and I went out into the sea, and the waves were just like, boom. And I just started getting really sick. I was like, and they're like trying to give me fish oil and like some stuff to smell, but it wasn't doing anything. And I was just like getting sick. I wanted to throw up. I wanted to get off of that boat. And all of a sudden, my uncle uh, Joseph comes up to me and says, Jason, come here. Just look at that mountain. I'm like, where? <laughs> He's like, there. <laughs> he says, don't keep your eye off of that mountain. And so I just did what he said. And I just, he said, don't look at the waves, just look at that mountain. And I just kept my gaze on that mountain. And slowly but surely, maybe about half an hour, 40 minutes later, all of my uneasiness started going away. And my body became stabilized and I became steady again. Why? What's the point of this analogy? The analogy is this. Jesus Christ is constant. His love for us is faithful. Even when we're unfaithful, he's still faithful. And if we keep our eyes on his grace, not our inability, not the areas where we feel like we suck, not the areas where we feel like we're not good enough, when we just keep our eyes on him, on his grace, then all of a sudden, he's unshakable and we become unshakable. He is steady. We become steady. All of a sudden, it's not about what I can do for him. It's not about my love for him. But all of a sudden, it's about his love that's constantly pouring over me that never, ever changes. And all of a sudden, I become steady like that rock because my eyes are on him. I want to encourage you guys right now. How many guys uh, have been obeying God more out of fear uh, than affection? Anyone here? Raise your hand. Yeah. I feel like the next one's going to be even worse. How many of you guys have been just obeying God out of duty and obligation? Yeah. How many of you guys would love to obey God out of affection? Why don't you guys just close your eyes? Um, Father, we just thank you so much. That's not about what we can do for you, but it's about what your son Jesus did for us. God, it's not about how spiritual we can be. It's not about how perfect, how holy, how called, how destined, how prophetic we are. God, that, that, those, are, those are not the things that give us value and worth. But simply being your beloved. God, we don't want to just be workers. We want to be lovers. And God, we know that lovers always last longer than workers. And so Jesus, I pray today that anyone that is ridden in fear, you would break that fear off of their hearts right now in Jesus' name that they would see a loving Father that accepts them for who they are. If there's anyone here, God, that's just obeying you because they have to, because they don't want to be seen as not good by others, even Christians, 
They're just doing it out of duty and obligation. God, I pray you break them from the fear of man. I pray you break them free from religion. I pray, God, you break them free from the obligation of having to do it. But I pray, God, right now, Holy Spirit, that you would fill their hearts with the love of Jesus Christ, the love of the passionate bridegroom, that you fill their hearts with grace, knowing that you love them just as they are, that they are your beloved and you are well pleased with them. If you want to obey God by affection, I simply just want you to lift your hands up to heaven and just receive a gift of God's belovedness and say this out loud, believing that as you say this, the Father is saying this to you. Say, I am your beloved. You are well pleased with me. I'm greatly blessed, highly favored, deeply loved. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.